Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello again. I'm Susanna Gross and you're listening to Sorry Partner. And welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we feature the second part of our interview with English champion Susanna Gross, who talks about the value of tenacity at the table and how years of playing rubber bridge honed her judgment. Plus, she shares her top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. How are you, Jocelyn? Hi, partner. I'm fine. Catherine, how are you? Jocelyn, I am very well, though I am very slightly concerned about my state of mind. Oh, dear. (laughs) What's been going on? (laughs) As you know, I do play a lot online. And often I am playing with lovely real people such as yourself. (laughs) But... Quite often I'm playing with those BBO robots and we all have lots of feelings about those BBO robots, but (laughs) I am starting to develop a more emotional response to them than I think is necessarily healthy. And I am reading into the play behaviors that I don't know if they're real or if I'm making it up. So (laughs) the passive aggressive robots, (laughs) (laughs) the daredevil robots. The obtuse robots. (laughs) What I've noticed, and I don't know if I'm just imagining this because I've been playing online too much, but they seem to hesitate when they're about to trump or or if it's like a key play and they're out of the suit, there's a hesitation. And I'm like, what is this? Surely I cannot be imagining table feel. 100%. When you finesse and they have the king. Yeah. And you've played to the queen. Yeah. There's always a hesitation. And I'm now used to, it's like, when there's that hesitation, I know the king is coming. 
<laughs> I know. Okay. Well, that makes me feel a whole lot better because I thought, oh my Lord, have I completely lost it. You know that Nietzsche quote about when you stare into the abyss. Am I becoming a robot? (laughs) Yes. Um, We've become robot people. No, I completely, completely agree with you. There is something that maybe makes it, I don't know, go through certain, I, I don't. You mean like the programming of it, it has to process some extra thing. And so it just slows down. Well, that's the only thing I can think of. Because I start thinking, oh, you're hesitating, you ratbag. And I have so, I'm have starting to have all these really, you know, unkind thoughts about the robot. I think just play the card. It never hesitates when it's just, a you know, following to, to the suit, you yeah. know, and not taking the trick. It just plays. So I know I've seen that too. And I hate those hesitations when I've tried to finesse. Okay. Well, thank you. Well, it makes me feel much better because I did, I did wonder if I was ever so slightly losing my marbles well you may be but not but this is not <laughs> evidence thereof oh, okay oh that's true well, thanks Johnson. i feel comforted and glad i shared it with you <laughs> i think a lot of people who play a lot of bridge can relate <laughs> So this is the part where we get real and ask for your support. As you know, the podcast is available for free and it's a labor of love, but it does take a lot of time and effort to put together. Donating is easy. You go to sorrypartner.com and you'll see a tab along the top, support the show, and that takes you right to our secure Patreon page. Many of you have contributed already and we are so grateful, but if you haven't, we'd really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Now, back to the show. So, Jocelyn, as ever, I have a couple of letters for you from the mailbag. Would you like me to read them to you? <laughs> well, duh. <laughs> <laughs> is that not our entire raison d'etre? <laughs> it is. <laughs> we love the letters, people. We love the letters. Please keep sending them in. This one is from Marianne in Washington. And she writes, my question is, while playing on BBO, have you ever had a player disappear for an unusual amount of time? Then she says, a partner of mine once had to call the tournament director because a player wasn't responding. Eventually, they returned to the table and apologized, stating they had to go outside and feed the horses. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly wouldn't happen in a face-to-face game. (laughs) And then she says, what's the strangest explanation or excuse you've ever heard? Well, first I would say (laughs) I've definitely seen people leave the table for an extended period of time to go feed the meter. Yes. (laughs) A different kind of horse. But not not the horses. That one is that's no. And then there's the Bob Hammond story about leaving the table as as Dommy (laughs) with with cards. (laughs) And heading to the bar. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure a few people have been waylaid at the bar in those situations. But yeah, no, I can't think. I know that, I, but you're so right. Like sometimes people just disappear for ages. I mean, always, they're always saying, oh, there was some, you know, technological problem. People get booted off right? the internet or whatever. But yeah, no, that's pretty special having to feed the horses. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's funny. And we have another letter, and this is in the category kind of of snafus, but also 
robots. This one is from Anna, who writes, Hello, I enjoy your podcast. Hi, Anna. Oh, Anna. We enjoy hearing that from you. Yeah, it's so nice. Thanks for writing in. Anna must be a director because she says, I was directing a free tournament online when a player called me to the table by making an announcement to the entire tournament that a robot was playing her hand and very badly. <laughs> right. And we all know they do play. Well, they usually play pretty well, those robots, but their bidding is wacky, wacky doodle. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> when I got to the table, her partner was now explaining to her that it wasn't a robot playing, but in fact, he was the declarer. <laughs> but he did agree that he was playing it very badly. <laughs> I'm going to do that in a regular face-to-face game. <laughs> Director. <laughs> my partner is playing my hand very poorly. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I dare you to do that to me one time and it will make me laugh so hard. Oh, my God. It's, that's so funny. That is yeah. That is so funny. Oh, I bet there are some <laughs> other good ones out there. So if you have any fun stories about Online Bridge and the robots or a partner or opponent who had to step away from the table for some very unusual reason, please do send them to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram, or you can send us a voice message. And these links are in the show notes and on the website at sorrypartner.com, along with some other good stuff. As you know, we love to get the letters. And when we get yours, maybe we'll read it out on the show. Coming up next, part two of our interview with Susanna Gross. English champion Susanna Gross is a self-confessed bridge addict. For many years, she was the literary editor at the Mail on Sunday, but gave it up in order to devote herself to bridge full time. She is now the bridge columnist for The Spectator, a journalistic role more simpatico with the life of a bridge professional. We start the second part of the interview by asking who she would cast on her dream bridge team. Oh, my dream. Oh, I often play this game. I often play my dream team game. I would have Dennis Builder, who is a dream on every level. Um, such a nice guy and very nice at the table from everything I can see. I would have probably my friend David Gold. I think I would have, I mean, I'd have Zia just for the fun of it. And Peter Fredin, the Swedish player, who's possibly the most imaginative player I've, I've ever come across. Just such good value to watch. He's master of the deceptive play, which is a very fun area of bridge. Um, he's a, such a great psychological player. So, yes, but I could go on playing Fantasy Bridge. I was going to say, if we gave you two subs. <laughs> two subs. I'm allowed two subs? Wow, okay. Probably, well, I'm going to have to go with Helga Mo, I think. And I'm going to have a woman. Um, I, I'll pick Jessica Larson, who I played with recently, and I thought she was fantastic. Do you have a personal motto or catchphrase that you use when you're preparing or playing a bridge tournament? Yes. I tell myself that at the end of the tournament, if I'm not proud of the way I played, if I made too many mistakes, that it's important to at least be proud of myself 
in every other way in, in terms of how I behaved and, and the effort I might have put in. It's important to do that for me because I'm very self-critical and sometimes I'm always elated if I've played well. But if I feel I've made too many mistakes, I can uh, feel very despondent and dwell on them too much. And I think psychologically, it's so silly to do that. Everyone makes mistakes. And I'm always reminding myself not to be too hard on myself. And sometimes if a tournament isn't going very well, the thing to concentrate on is, okay, it's not going well. Be, be proud of the rest of, you, of yourself. Be proud to keep fighting. Keep fighting and know that you didn't ever stop fighting. That, that's the, my motto, if you like. Just keep fighting. Do not get demoralized. I think that's my strength. Just, I, I will never give up. Well, what would a regular partner say maybe is a weaker area of your game? I think the weakest area of my game is blips of concentration. I'm playing a good game and then suddenly uh, there's some slight craziness or scattiness that just creeps in, which I really want to eliminate. It's, uh, I think, it, it is a slight concentration issue. Is there anything you do to try and work on that? Yes. I've been told many times that when I'm dummy, I, I should switch off because part of these lapses of concentration come when I'm expending too much energy for too long. And part of when you do that is I'm busy analyzing hands too much at the table. If I'm dummy, I'm thinking about the last hand. I'm either watching what's going on or I'm dwelling on, on what I, what, how many tricks were makeable or what the opposition might have made. Or It's too much. And so I think that um, I've been told time and again to switch off all this can wait to the end of the tournament. I think that would help preserve my, my concentration for, for where it matters. So I'm, I've, I've got a lot better at that, a lot better. I mean, when I play online now, I actually walk away, unless I'm playing with a client, of course. <laughs> um, if I'm not playing with a client, uh, if it's a, just a, you know, a professional partner or a normal partner, I will walk away when I'm dummy, force myself to, to look out of the window, get some fresh air, just so that I don't think about the bridge. When I come back to the table, I'm much more likely to, to be focused for the next hand. What is something that people might be very surprised to learn about you? Oh, um, I'm such an open book. I tend to, you know, not have too many secrets. I, I'm what you see is what you get a lot. So with, what would they be surprised about? Well, actually, probably I, I think I come across as, as being quite energetic and vivacious and so on. Very often at these bridge tournaments, I'm the last person to, to leave the bar. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I'm full of energy and, and, uh, and enthusiasm. I think people would be surprised by how much I slump um, the following week and, and don't get out of bed and just am absolutely flawed. I think when I've told people that, they, they actually don't believe me because I always seem to be a bit hyper, not just energetic, but hyper. <laughs> But I know that the flip side of that is a lot of exhaustion. But yeah, that, that might surprise people. What's your earliest memory of bridge and how did you learn to play bridge? I didn't come from a card-playing family and I didn't learn until I was um, an adult, which is a huge disadvantage. I didn't play any card games at all. 
But when I was, and I think it was my last year of university, I, I was with some friends and they needed a fourth. And I, I said I, I, I couldn't play, but they didn't care. They just taught me in five minutes. And um, I loved it immediately. That's how I started. We carried on playing as a foursome for the next 10 years, a game which we called Bridge, but I, I now realize <laughs> absolutely nothing to do with Bridge. That's why when people ask how long I've been playing, I get a bit, I sort of feel like saying, well, look, I, I should be better than I am. But, I, cause, but really, I was playing a game. We just called it Bridge, but... Doesn't count. <laughs> it doesn't count. And it was, I, was the, I was the only, I just took myself off to a Bridge school. Uh, by myself, no one, none of the others wanted to. And then I started having lessons and having to unlearn everything I'd learned. <laughs> you can play bridge for, in fact, a lot of people do play bridge for 70 years. And so long as they never move out of their little social circle of bridge players, they'll never improve. They'll play, they won't ever know what they're doing wrong. But no matter, they're having fun and that's, that's bridge. But as soon as you take yourself out of that environment, you, you, it's a bit of a, yeah, that's, 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 that's where you can start being a proper player. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How did you transition from the lessons to becoming the expert that you are now? I'm a very obsessive person and I started having um, lessons and more lessons. At the time, I had a full-time job as a, as a journalist and um, I hired some players to play with me, which is a fantastic way to improve. Not too often, it, it costs a lot of money, but I did that in conjunction with reading so many bridge books. and. Then I started playing rubber bridge um, for money. And I was playing five times a week after work and at the weekends. And although it didn't teach me how to bid, because you're not allowed to use any conventions apart from maybe one or two, there's no conventions at all. You have to use, you, you improve your, the sheer volume of hands you're playing and, and you have to use your judgment. You have to sniff out a slam 
or sniff out a game. It's a fantastic foundation for forbidding judgment, which I still find useful to this day. And then I just started, you know, playing tournaments. And then I gave up my job because I love bridge too much and um, wanted to do it all the time. I gave up my journalistic job, not my bridge column, obviously, but I was a, a literary editor. And I gave that up about five or six or seven years ago to concentrate on bridge because that's all I really want to do nowadays. Was there a particular book that you felt really helped you improve? Yes. It was a book written decades ago called Card Play Technique by Victor Mollo and uh, Nico Gardner, both long dead. It became a bit of a Bible. The thing about bridge technique books is that you shouldn't read them once. You should read them all and reread them all the time so that you come to recognize the techniques involved. You don't have to think at the table. It's a matter of recognition. But that's still a fantastic book, and I'm still recommending it to people because there's a chapter on every basic type of declarer play, defense, deceptive play. It's not about bidding at all, but I thoroughly recommend it. I mean, I've got a huge bridge library, but that's the book I would recommend above, above all. What is your favorite convention that you always like to play with your partners? Well, I'm not mad about conventions as such because as a rubber bridge player, I'm very used to playing without conventions. Um, and I also think that you can really get bogged down in too many conventions. I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by conventions and I love discussing conventions and I do play a lot of conventions with a lot of different people. but. I find a lot of a lot of it doesn't turn up. In fact, it's quite rare for things to really turn up much at all. And very often you've half discussed something and that's becomes very dangerous because you haven't discussed all the continuations or for instance what to do if the opposition get in the way. What 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 was your next bid mean and so on. So I like to keep things as, as simple as possible, but a slightly more advanced convention I do like to play is inverted minors. I like to play uh, one minor, two minor is game forcing. It's quite hard to not play that, in my view, when if partner opens a, a minor and you have a, a game forcing hand, it's quite hard to immediately set that minor as trumps because you, if you, you can't jump. You can't one diamond, three diamonds is, is whatever it is, but it's not game forcing. Um, and then if you start off by bidding a major and then partner bids something else, then you have to now establish the minor as a as trumps. Anyway, it's not, you don't have to play inverted minors, but I do like inverted minors. Um, but other than that, I, I pretty much play anything and everything, just not too much. If I, it, It's a mistake to play too much with a partner that you don't play with very regularly. Could you tell us a little bit more about how rubber bridge works? Because I didn't realize that you weren't really allowed to use conventions. What is the reason for that? The reason for this is that rubber bridge is not a partnership game. You cut for your partner. And you tend to play a game called Chicago. You play four hands with someone and then you cut for the next person. So you can't have private agreements. Okay. And um, it's really a game. I can, I, can, uh, I can tell you all you really play is you agree on your, the strength of your no trump. And you can play a simple blackwood. You can't play anything like Jacoby or a negative doubles or... None of that. None of that. And and you can't even play week two, so all your two openers have to be strong. So, um, yeah, it's a completely different game. So when the people that play a lot of rubber bridge, and remember people like Zia, 
That's how he started his life, as a rubber bridge player. And it helped him enormously, no conventions at all. But that foundation of judgment, just using the simplest of tools, the simplest of tools to get to the right game or the right slam, without all those many partnership understandings that most people rely on. And funnily enough, I think that some of my best results are with partners where we haven't had time to get bogged down in discussing too many conventions. In fact, one of my most remarkable experiences was in the 2019 European Open Championships in Istanbul. I had been playing in the mixed event and was about to fly home when poor Sally Brooke had a very nasty fall as she slipped and gashed her her head open in, in, in the night. She was due to be playing in the women's teams starting the next morning. Well, I came down for breakfast, um, ready to check out of the hotel, and uh, my friend uh, Marusha Gold came up and said, look, we've, we've got a disaster. Sally's had to go to hospital. Her partner's had to take her. She thinks she's going to be fine to play tomorrow, she hopes, after she'd been s- stitched up. We need another pair. The event starts in 10 minutes. My friend Barbara Adrinovich, a Slovenian woman uh, who I'd never met before, she's available today. Will you play with her? I said, well, Jesus, this is the, you know, the European women's teams. Okay. Barbara came down. We now had five minutes. We didn't even have time to get a piece of paper. Uh, we had a, a paper napkin from the breakfast room and we wrote down five conventions, <laughs> agreements on it, <laughs> rushed to the venue where the the women's teams was was beginning, uh, you know, sitting against, you know, well-known champion players with their laminated perfect system <laughs> cards. And I gave them a slightly coffee-stained half-napkin <laughs> with our agreements on it. Um, anyway, just to let you know, that was the year that we won the bronze medal in the teams because we could do no wrong. We had no misunderstandings. It was just we only played that day, but we were flying absolutely flying. It gave us almost more confidence in each other to know that we were absolutely relying on common sense and and judgment. Of course, our teammates played very well. Sally came back the next day and took over and played very well. The team got the bronze, but, you know, we did very well as well. And it just made me realize that we laughed a lot afterwards. It was very comical. But it's a myth, I think, to think you need too, too many conventions and it can hamper you. Is there a particular convention that you especially abhor? Abhor would be too strong a word, <laughs> but I'm very wary of a couple of conventions, especially when partners want to play them and we're not very regular partnerships. I have a slight dread of fit jumps. The reason being is that it's no good just saying, let's play fit jumps. It's just what me- most people say. It gets so much more complicated. For instance, you know, when is a double jump a splinter? When is it a fit jump? If there's only room for one jump, is it a splinter or a fit jump? What about if partner's overcalled and the next hand passes and your next bid isn't forcing? Do you need to jump just to force or is that a fit jump? (laughs) So I end up saying let's not play any fit jumps unless it's a partnership I can really practice. The other convention I'm wary of is is called the last train. Do you, do you know about last train? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, the problem with last train bids is I don't mind a, a last train being a last ditch, if you like, attempt to, to make a slam try. 
Well, it's fine if you have very specific agreements, like over a one heart, four clubs from partner. Four diamonds is a, is a last train. You don't want to sign off. You're not good enough to, to bid Blackwood. Four diamonds is not a cue bid. It's a last train bid. But if you haven't agreed that you only do it in, in these situations, it gets very murky to start cue bidding and then this and then, oh, hang on a minute. Is that a cue bid or was that a last train? It actually makes a huge difference to me and I have no idea. So I ban last train bids other than this very simple splinter, four-level splinter bids, unless it's someone I can practice with a lot. Those are my two pet hates. <laughs> What's the top tip or advice that you've ever been given? Yes, I have three tips for you. My first tip is from my friend Margaret Courtney, a fellow rubber bridge player, who once said to me, do what you think is right. Never give a shit what anybody thinks of you. So important. Do not worry about what anyone is going to think of you if what you do works out to be wrong. Follow your instinct. I think that's hugely important. And my second two tips come from Espen Eriksson, who's a wonderful player, a Norwegian player, who's very, very blunt talking. No nonsense, says it how it is. And I was playing with him, and I was at that stage where I was. Um, thinking I was better than I was and trying to do some, you know, fancy stuff. And in defense, I, I think I, I ducked a trick without just thinking it might, it might be right without quite knowing why. And he just said to me, never try to do anything clever at the table. It will always backfire. And although I, you know, I laughed a lot, but actually he, there's a, some truth in what he, he says. What I mean by that is very often it's enough to be sensible and not lose your concentration, keep a count of the hand. That's enough to win, to play well and win. It's when you start trying to be clever that I think I know a lot of people who in trying to be clever end up with absolutely a terrible score. Because in the, the effort to be clever, it's not the same thing as being clever. You're trying to show off in a way. You don't often don't quite know why you're doing what you're doing, but it looks a bit snazzy. I think it's very good advice. And the other bit of advice Esping once gave me, because I do get a bit distracted at the table, for instance, just as I can feel annoyed very quickly, but I also have quite a lot of sympathy. If someone's revoked or if someone's clearly very nervous, an opponent, I'm naturally quite sympathetic and, and maybe a bit soft. And Esping once, he told me off a little bit, he said, when a man is down, you must kick him. <laughs> and I thought, well, he's right. I mean, Jesus, here we are. If you see a weakness in your opposition, if they've got themselves upset by misplaying the last board, for God's sake, don't go soft on them. But even though Espen gave me that advice all those years ago, I, I haven't always been able to um, be as, as tough as him. In fact, I remember not that long ago, maybe four or five years ago, I was playing in a again, another European Open Championship, I was absolutely exhausted. It was day seven. And I'd had a bit of a run-in at the previous table with someone who'd accused my, my long hesitation of being unethical, which, believe me, it wasn't. It was just pure tiredness on my part. But it was a bit unpleasant. He called the tournament director. When I got to the next table, my screenmate was a very nice foreign man. I hardly spoke English. But I, I just couldn't help myself. I, 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 I just to my shame, actually, a couple of tears trickled down my, my face. And he noticed and uh, very kindly 
uh, reached into his pocket and gave me a, a very nice handkerchief. I was sniffling away. Meanwhile, he and his partner were bidding, as I noticed, on their way to a, a slam. But I don't know whether I distracted him or not. Anyway, they managed to bid all the way up to seven diamonds. And I looked at my hand and I held the ace and king of diamonds. And I was, had his handkerchief scrunched up to my nose. And I, in, a, in a moment, I had to decide whether to double him or not. Uh, and I'm afraid I didn't. I didn't double him. <laughs> I, I couldn't bring myself to do it, and, um, even, though, even though they were vulnerable. At the end of it, my partner lifted the hatch. I was playing with Tom Pask. He lifted the hatch and he said to me, why didn't you double? <laughs> I said, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I, he lent me his handkerchief. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll never do it again. <laughs> never again. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll never even cry again. <laughs> and next time I promise to be made of tougher stuff. <laughs> Susanna, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so wonderful to talk to you. It was so much fun. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I've loved every minute of it. And that's the show. Many thanks to our guest, Susanna Gross. Thank you also to our listener supporters who make the show possible. And to friend of the show, Larry Cohen. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris with production assistance from Paul Chirasso. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. These links and a link to our merch store are under the episode description in your app, on the website at sorrypartner.com, or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice, or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be onside. And remember, as Susanna says, trying to be clever and being clever are not the same thing. Follow your instinct, but don't show off. It will nearly always backfire. Thank you, partner. <laughs> Thank you, partner. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.